Today's episode of Found Down is brought to you by Unwound Retreats. Unwound Retreats offers fun events and travel experiences for nurses locally and internationally. Founded by me, Nicole Johnson, ICU nurse and host of the Found Down podcast, I provide opportunities for nurses to practice self-care, learn, and travel together. These last two years have been brutal in healthcare, and why not give yourself the gift to unwind, learn, and grow? Previous guests have loved the experiences, especially because you can just show up and know that everything will be taken care of. Unwound Retreats is offering exciting and luxurious retreats in Morocco and Mexico. Go over to unwoundretreats.com and sign up to get on the email list so you can find out more. Hey there, this is Nicole, the host and producer of the Foundown Podcast. I'm so stoked to have you listen to this episode. I've got my friend, epidemiologist Kat, back on the show. Woo, we're talking Delta variant uh, vaccine, vaccine breakthrough, what's on the horizon, booster shots, all kinds of stuff. Um, But before we get into it, I just want to say thank you so much for listening. Thanks for tuning in week after week. You are the best. Uh, Thank you for leaving reviews for rating the show. That's so awesome. Um, if you want to do that, that's a super great way to support Found Down. So you can leave an honest review on whatever platform you are listening. It truly does help the podcast go up the ranks. And um, yeah, so just rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, it really does, really does help. So if you enjoy the show, it's one way to show your support. Now I want to talk about our amazing sponsor, Nicole Kupchik, CNS and educator. She offers nurses all kinds of products, courses, online classes, webinars uh, to help nurses advance their practice. And she actually just launched a new course, Emergent Pacing. So if you're in the world of having to do that, you might want to check that out at NicoleKupchikConsulting.com. She also has ABG interpretation, hemodynamic monitoring, stroke review, delirium prevention, and she has a CCRN and PCCN review course coming up this September slash October. You're going to want to check it out if you haven't gotten certified. Go over to NicoleCupcheConsulting.com and check out her products. Also, you can use the coupon code FOUNDDOWN20 at checkout to get 20% off. Again, you can use the coupon code FOUNDDOWN20, that's all lowercase, at uh, checkout to get 20% off over at NicoleCupchickConsulting.com. Check it out today. All right, that should do it. Without further ado, here is the episode with epidemiologist Kat talking about all things Delta variant. Welcome to the Found Down Podcast. This is a podcast of untold nursing stories that are sometimes hilarious, dark, insane, and anything in between. As a warning, this show is rated E and is mature in content. It often deals with the reality of life and death and how we as nurses intersect with that on a regular basis. If we laugh, it's not out of disrespect. We love what we do and have every intention of continuing to do so. With that, enjoy the show. Well, hello and welcome to the Found Down Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Johnson, and I'm so stoked because I have Dr. Katrine Wallace back on the show. You know, she's aka epidemiologist Kat um, with a TikTok infamy, and now she's been on all kinds of news outlets, actually. But we're going to talk to Dr. Kat um, about 
where we are with the COVID-19 pandemic, the Delta variant, how vaccines are working against it. And we're just sort of going to get a a finger on the pulse of everything. But before we do any of that, how are you, Kat? Hello. Thank you so much for having me back on the show. I love coming on this show. Um, It's I feel like it's just talking amongst friends. So it's really fun for me. Um, I'm doing okay. It's, it's been a lot. I mean, I'm sure, you know, everyone knows that who works even tangentially with this pandemic that we are now ramping up again. And so as I work from home, so I can't say I'm bearing the brunt of it, but I'm definitely a lot busier (laughs) than I was like two months ago. So, yeah, well, so it's, it's it's crazy. (laughs) I mean, so you, um, you have your main job, you're an epidemiologist. So this is sort of a sidebar, but like, can you talk about the work that you're doing professionally and why it's ramped up and like, what does that look like? Sure. So, you know, basically we, so at U U of I, we have our own research programs, which kind of during the actual pandemic were sort of put on hold. Like I, my specialty area in epidemiology is geriatric epidemiology. So I mostly deal with like influenza and cancer and um, diseases of the aged. And so when COVID came around, we kind of thought that was going to be one too, um, because it seemed like it was mostly like kind of disproportionately affecting older people. Um, But as we, as the pandemic sort of progressed, the epidemic, the face of the epidemiology just kind of started kept shifting as the pandemic went forward, which is really interesting. You know, there's elderly people are still at really high risk, but we now see it across the spectrum of ages. Um, So I've kind of morphed my job a little bit (laughs) to be less of a geriatric epidemiologist and more of a COVID epidemiologist late as of late. Um, And I still have the other stuff going on, but it's, been predominantly COVID now and just research. And um, I help out in a number of different areas, but most of it, I'm, I'm a researcher, like a data person. So there's different ways you can go in public health. There's like policy, and then there's like applied public health, like you want to work at a health department. Um, But I've always just been a research statistics and data person. And my content on the channels kind of reflects that. Like I'm very data-driven in my approach um, to answering questions and things. Like I'm less of a, you know, kind of overall general information and more of like specific data to answer your question type person. So a lot of what I do from day to day, like people always go, can you make a video of your job from day to day, like thinking it's really exciting or something? And I've, I've never really done that because it's really boring. Like, honestly, I mean, this is the most exciting thing I'm going to do all day today. Other than that, I'm <laughs> going to be on SAS analyzing data sets and there's nobody that wants to watch that. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. <laughs> well, that's kind of fun. So are you like, sometimes like on pins and needles, like waiting for the new sets of data from like this place or that place. And you're like, give me it. I want to see it. Like I want to digest it. So it's so funny that you say that because I have a colleague that I actually met on social media, another science communicator. And we put out like infographics on Instagram and we have been waiting. We like every week we 
like download the new data sets and we look at the data so that we can kind of like update what we're doing. And we're waiting on some data that was supposed to be posted on the 5th of August. And I'm literally like refreshing the data like a <laughs> crazy person, like waiting for this because we have the post ready. We just need to like plug in the numbers. And that's how crazy I get about this stuff. Uh, yeah, so you're absolutely right. That is actually happening in real life. <laughs> that's so cool. I mean, I just think about like, that's clearly why you're doing the work that you do because you love it. And and you can yeah. digest it and then you can give it to us, you know? Um, I mean, I, I try to see myself as like a liaison between like the data and the statistics and the peer reviewed literature and like the person that maybe didn't study science or, you know, is interested and wants to understand, but doesn't necessarily have that toolkit to like download the paper in nature and read it with all of the terminology, you know? So I kind of try to be like a translator almost. Yeah. So cool. Thank you for the work that you do. That's just fantastic. Okay. Let's talk about where we are in the (laughs) pandemic. Can you just sort of give us a rundown about I don't know, the COVID-19 pandemic and the Delta variant and like what your, what your thoughts are. My (laughs) my thoughts. (laughs) Um, Or what do we know, I guess? So we definitely have, so right now in the U.S., um, like 83% of our sequenced cases are Delta. And so anybody testing positive right now, it's, there's a great likelihood that you have this variant of COVID-19. And so I want to just explain real quick. There's a lot of misinformation out there that Delta variant is not real because there is no test for Delta variant. Like if you walk into Walgreens and ask for a test for Delta variant, they're not, they're going to tell you there is no test for Delta variant. So conspiracy theorists have been like, oh, aha, that means it doesn't exist. You can't test for it. So how do they know it's there? So um, just for your listeners, the you know, your listeners are probably mostly healthcare people and already know this, yeah. but we have a test that gives you a result for COVID-19, which Delta variant is still COVID-19. Like I think people think these variants are like a new disease or something, but it's still covid And the test will tell you whether you have COVID or not. And the prevention measures and the treatment measures are identical for the original virus, for alpha, for delta, whatever. So there's really no reason for us to differentiate that on a clinical level for patients, you know, because the advices are going to be exactly the same. Change the treatment. Right. Right. So when people get upset that they can't find out if they had the Delta variant, there's really no reason to know if you had it or not. I know that sounds bad, but it's like clinically there's no test for it, but there's no reason to really need it. So what happens is when there's positive tests, a percentage of those positive tests go to like a state public health lab to get sequenced to see if those are, you know, what lineage these viruses are. And so right now we know based on that kind of secondary study that gets done that about 83% of the cases are Delta. And that is the same kind of nationwide. There's regional, um, if you go to the CDC website, they break it down kind of regionally. And you can see that every, every part of the country is predominantly Delta at this time. 
So that's going on. And that, that was definitely, so we have variants that will kind of overtake like this one did and alpha did also. So we had our first virus, right? The original mm -hmm. wild type virus. And then we had that alpha variant that originated in the UK that kind of overtook. Mm -hmm. And then we've had a few other ones kind of enter the picture, but didn't overtake like the South African variant we were very afraid of. Um, and the one from Brazil, we were really afraid those were going to overtake. So beta and gamma, but those ones didn't. So there's, you know, but when beta, when this one came, um, Delta, it really did. It just kind of overtook the alpha variant, um, kind of, so it's really, it's, it's just interesting because then now there's this other one that everyone keeps asking me about called yeah. Lambda which is another variant, but we have a grading system for variants. So the only one, there's only four that are actually variants of concern. And we just talked about all four of them. Oh, okay. Um, so it's like alpha, beta, gamma, and delta are the only four that are still what we call variants of concern per the WHO kind of grading system. And the Lambda variant is, an, is what we call a variant of interest. It's still being, pay, it's being watched, it's being paid attention to, but it hasn't met the criteria to be upgraded to a variant of concern yet. So the media is blowing that out of proportion right now. I'm not saying it's never going to get crazy, but right now right. it's not anything to worry about. The media, <laughs> if you're listening, that's not helping. You're not helping. No. <laughs> it isn't. The media has actually not helped a lot in this last cut like month with Delta variant because there's been a lot of emphasis on breakthrough cases also. So this is another thing that's specific to Delta. We are seeing more breakthrough cases with Delta variant than we did with the Alpha variant or the original virus. So the media has been focusing on these breakthrough cases kind of instead of like the efficacy of the vaccine. They're just focusing on these failures. And it's so it's gotten into people's minds that it doesn't matter if you get the vaccine or not, because you can still get COVID and you can still give it to people. That's been the message in the media. And that's problematic because we know <laughs> that if you have been vaccinated, your chances of getting COVID is less. Your chances of being in the hospital or dying are markedly less. So it's not a good message to be sending. No, no. And actually on that note, I think that we've seen, I've seen different numbers of like, whatever breakthrough case numbers right. or, but it's still like very, very small. If you look at the actual folks that have been vaccinated to breakthrough cases, isn't it like in, yeah, you, so I don't know the data, but it's, it's, um, well, you're, you're not wrong. The, the, so April 30th, the CDC stopped collecting statistics on breakthrough cases that are mild symptomatic. They only are, or asymptomatic, <clears throat> excuse me. They're only collecting data now on severe hospitalization and death breakthrough cases. And the rationale at the time on April 30th was that the rate was very low and that we expect some breakthrough cases because the vaccines were not 100% effective. And we know that in the history of vaccines, there's never been a perfect vaccine that prevents 100% of all infection. So that was the rationale. However, now with Delta, we are finding that that 
um, number is kind of increasing. It's still low, but it's increasing. And the problem is we just don't have the data now to say exactly how much it is. We know the data through April 30th via the CDC was like less than 1%, like you're saying. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also have data from the Kaiser Family Foundation, which compiled, I guess there's 25 states that still report data um, by vaccination status, which is nice. So we have that and they, so they can report that out. So the Kaiser Family Foundation did a report where they kind of compiled all that data. But the problem with the way they did it was they put everything in it from January to the end of July. And so that kind of washed out any kind of effects Delta would have been having. It would right. have been really nice for them to report the data quarterly so we could see like a trend. So hopefully somebody will do that, um, at, you know, who has the data. That would be great because then we could actually get a good sense in these 25 states, like how that's looking in terms of percentages. But right now, it still does look low because all the data was sort of com combined together, you know? Yeah. There, and as far as like the efficacy against the Delta variant too, like there, I don't know I've seen everything from like 88% to 60% to 39% right. from the, from Israel and, you know, um, but we still like, for those of us out there who are vaccinated and who want to be safe, I mean, it's like, I know that, of course, because the because oops because of the media talking so much about these breakthrough cases, Correct. my anxiety level has like yeah. gone up a lot, and I'm like, well, shit, you know, I want to, I, I want to be safe. Like, what can I do? What should I, what should I not do? You know, like, um, but I should still feel like the whole point of this vaccine was to prevent me from getting seriously ill. Correct. Like, or admitted to the hospital. Um, and it's still, majority of people are not breaking through, right? Correct. Yes. Um, and if we look at this, so that's a great, um, that's, that's a great point. Because if you look at that population-based data, um, let's, let's delve into that a little bit. Because okay. you, you're correct that we have seen some differences in the um, rate of asymptomatic and symptomatic infections between different countries that report this data. And I'm going to just explain that the countries that are reporting this data are mostly countries that have like a nationalized healthcare system. So they have like one database that has everybody's data in it, which is very nice. We don't have that in the U.S. So it's very hard for us to get like a co cohesive measure for the U.S. We have to yeah. do it kind of by state. Um, so that's number one. Secondly, we have seen not very much. So measures like it, um, infection rates are very variable between different studies in different countries and things because they rely on behavior and testing. Um, countries that are studies that that measure things like hospitalization and death. I think you'll notice between these countries, we don't see a lot of variability with endpoints like that because those are very finite and easy to measure. Like, did the person go to the hospital? Yes, yes or no. no. Did, the, yeah. did the person die? 
yes or no. And there's a record of these things having happened, right? So between Israel and the UK and Canada, we see very consistent measures with hospitalizations and deaths for those things. So that's the variability there is not very much. But with testing, we have like Israel, like you correctly said, it's like 64%. And then like we saw the UK was 88. And we're like, what's going on? And Canada was much like the UK, right? So you have to kind of wonder like, what's the differences between testing in these in these different places? There's a lot of like methodological issues for capturing those infections because it's not like they're walking around to everybody's house and like testing them every day. They're relying on people going to get tested. Um, and that could vary from place to place. It could, you know, it's, it's just very, it's very hard because it's not as easy to measure. Got it. So there's a variability there that's not in the other kind of more severe outcomes. And that's why it would be nice if we measured um, breakthrough infections here, but it also would be subject to that same kind of variability. Yeah, right. You, you, the individual needs to go get tested and to even know, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. What do you so think? That's kind of the issue. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Um, this is so hard to even predict, but what do you think is going to happen with this? Delta variant wave. I mean, so hopefully we'll end up like the UK where we have that horseshoe trend that they were <clears throat> increasing and then just turned around. So let's hope that that happens here too. And nobody really understands that trend or why it happened like that. That's a great, that's so crazy. That makes me think about how pandemics just like come and go. Um, not that that's what's going to happen here, but I I mean, it gives me hope, you know, that, okay, so if that happened, didn't, someone said, I don't know if you follow that Dr. ZMD guy, but he was saying it happened in the U, that same horseshoe happened in the UK as well. And so like two countries, did you hear that? Or I mean, I was talking about the UK actually. Oh, oh he yeah. was saying India. Sorry. He said that. Oh yes. In India happened. too. Yes. Correct. So that's, it gives me hope. I mean, okay. If those are two different locations and that kind of happened. Well, yeah, it's really odd. It's like, I wonder if the, if it's just so, this is a hypothesis. So nobody write this down, but <laughs> I wonder if it's just so virulent that it spreads really quickly. And then, it gets all the people that didn't have enough antibodies and then just kind of stops or something like the people that had, you know, were adequately protected, then it sort of hit a wall. I don't know. Um, it's really interesting though, cause we are getting, you know, some breakthrough cases. We're getting some, a lot of unvaccinated people in the hospital, which I want to stress that, you know, we hear a lot about breakthrough cases, we're maybe not hearing quite enough about the fact that in ICUs, um, we are seeing a lot of unvaccinated people who, you know, hope that <laughs> they end up coming home. So this is preventable, you know, that's the sad part is that that hospitalization is preventable. So not getting vaccinated is not only you know, very detrimental to the person's health, but it's also detrimental on our healthcare system because it's all preventable. 
Yes, absolutely. I think that's the thing for us who, I mean, you too, I mean, you can feel it as well, but like, we feel like this extra sense of, I don't know, despair or grief or something. I'll just, whatever bad emotion you want, some heaviness to these patients because we're like, damn, you just could have gotten, you know, vaccinated. Yeah. And no, I mean, our cases now are like, I think the seven day average now is like 110,000 um, cases. And it's not been this high since like February, since and there's just no reason for this. Like it, it doesn't need to be like this. We need to get everybody vaccinated so we can get the rate of community spread down and get these red zones off the map. It's, it's really like, this is just not, because what happens is when you have an area that's very like unvaccinated, then the communities around that area are at risk, right? So even if you have, so you have one county that has like very low vaccination rates. And we still have counties in the U.S. that have like in the, you know, 13, 14% vaccination rates in some counties in the U.S., which is really bad. Wow. Um, and then the counties around those counties are also at risk because those people are interacting all around them. And even if people are vaccinated, it like, you know, the, there's, I look, I think of it like, you know, if you're, on a boat, right? And the boat's taking in water. Like the boat will keep floating until it gets enough water in it that it'll sink, right? So the vaccine can only take so much, right? If there's virus all around you, right. and that's what causes these breakthrough cases. And I I feel like this is just, it's just not good. And we, we see in the data, the CDC put in out a nice infographic about this, the other, um, just to show how the unvaxed, the heavily unvaccinated communities are affecting the um, more compliant communities. And you can see on this map, they kind of overlaid vaccination rates with case rates and it kind of color coded them. And the areas that have high vaccine, higher vaccination are having more cases if they're next to the areas that have lower vaccination. So it's, and it's a really kind of cool infographic. Um, But anyway, it's, we just need to get the rate of community spread down and the vaccination can do that because we've seen it up in the Northern, the Northeastern United States. We've seen the community. I mean, there are pockets where things, you know, turn red, but we have seen that it works, you know, this having these, communities all kind of protect each other. Yeah. I, (laughs) I've been watching the map on the New York times, like coronavirus tracker thing for a while. And it was just, you could just see like, you know, Louisiana and then it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger bigger down to Florida. The whole Southeastern United States is, is just, red and orange, that whole Southeastern United States. But then you look at the Northeastern United States where it's very high vaccine compliance. You can see those areas are kind of like, it's almost like it keeps, it's like a fence that keeps the cases out. It's really amazing. But yes, that whole Southeastern United States is problematic. And and there's legislation now against public health measures in some of those states 
So that makes it even more problematic going into school starting, right? Because we have governors that are actively legislating against public health measures. That should be fucking illegal. I swear to God, like that, like I'm, I'm going to lose my temper here. Um, I, Go ahead. I, I'm I just like, <laughs> like, they don't have any skin in the game. How dare they? How dare they? Yeah, they're not concerned at all. They should be like, okay, so we have the lowest like in, vaccination rates in our state or whatever. We should consider protecting our people. Yeah, um, it's really crazy. Like Scott Gottlieb was on, I think it was, um, I can't remember what show, Face the Nation, I think yesterday. And he was saying like, no business would put 30 unvaccinated people in a room, shut the door and have (laughs) them sit there all day. But we're expecting that for our children. That's crazy. It's totally crazy. Um, Yeah, the, the whole... The whole message that like COVID doesn't affect kids or COVID kids can't spread COVID and all these things that have been stated that were never based in science, right? Um, you know, unfortunately, we're we're definitely going to see kids getting sick in the fall and especially in those areas where they have legislated against masks and parents are even rallying against their kids wearing masks. I just, I personally can't understand it or relate to it as a parent myself and as a scientist it seems very just ill-advised but you know I just I can't I can't I can't that's when you really have to take a step back and think people really don't think this is real because this is their kids right so they really don't think this is a threat because everybody loves their kids no matter what their political views are right So that's when I really have to be like, okay, these people really just don't think this is a big deal because they're sending their kids into harm's way, no mask, you know, fighting against the masks. Like to me, that just says right there that they just don't, you know, it's not like they're willingly going to harm their kids. They wouldn't. Right. Yeah. That's a really interesting point. I mean, that's a great point. Um, I just wish we somehow, I don't know how. I mean, if they don't believe it's like very real now, I'm like, I don't know what what's going to work. I know. I don't know what it's going to take. I mean, honestly, we've seen, you know, more people in the ICU that are under the age of 50 in the last couple of months. I don't know how your ICU is doing, but I mean, at least from our Chicago data, our cases are unvaccinated and they're younger. Yeah, our de- our cases are definitely unvaccinated, um, and they seem younger, but I can't really, you know, general general generalize yeah. that. But yeah, in oh, mm. um, okay. I have another ICU nurse friend that just told me that he he lives in Pennsylvania and mm-hmm. works in Pennsylvania, and just accepted a case from Oklahoma because his hospital had the closest bed, which terrified me. I had no idea that it was that bad. I knew I had heard they were getting full, but, and I don't know if there were special things that this person needed that were considerations, but I was like terrified by that. Well, I mean, I was in a, 
like a flow meeting, what you know, where we talk about bed allocation and stuff. And th- there was a request from somebody to get admitted for ECMO co- for COVID. And we could not, I'm just going to say we as an institution didn't have the resources to yeah. give. Like, you can say, anyway, so like, if you need, oh, anyway, we just know that these, there are limited resources out there, limited beds, our healthcare systems aren't built exactly for this. So they run 95% of the time, like, or most of the time they're at 95% capacity or whatever. Right. So, I mean, good luck. And I think that's something people don't understand is that budgets have been cut, 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 cut to the, for in healthcare and in public health, right? So this pandemic was like over and above what was already like <laughs> at its breaking point. Yeah. So, oh man, I've... yeah, it's 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 really bad. And like you know, we've talked about it before, but the reason what you're saying about how like we're already, you know, out straight, and then you add all these cases, and you're adding like you know, field hospitals, and you're adding like, you know, moving pediatric ICUs to become adult ICUs. And then there's nowhere to put the patients with like heart conditions, or car accidents, or where do you put them? You don't have a spot for these people. Mm -mm. Yeah, I think we're gonna go. I mean, it's not so crazy where I am right now. And I think that has a lot to do with our vaccination rates, frankly. Yeah, you guys are good. But um, for other places, you know, they like we saw where people were saying if someone doesn't regain consciousness from or, you know, get a pulse return of spontaneous circulation after like a code or something out in the field, then they were just going to yeah, let them I mean, know. What else can you do? I mean, yeah. it, so it's so that's what I think people aren't understanding is that there's other there's th- people dying from the pandemic that aren't dying of COVID because there's there's not the capacity to take care of them. Yeah. So it's like there's other casualties from the pandemic that are not even infected with COVID. Yeah. Um, what do you think we should be doing differently? Like, or I mean, I guess the new guidelines are what? Wear masks indoors, like what do you think our um, mitigation measures should be against the pandemic for those of us, for everybody and maybe those of us that are vaccinated? So the unfortunate thing is that the um, mitigations have been confusing from the beginning and sort of left up to the um, individual or the business to kind of institute. So now it's, you know, I agree that with the CDC that we should be wearing masks in high transmission areas. But does do people know if they're in a high transmission area? Do, do people check their county health department website every day? I think they don't. So I think people just assume everything around them is normal. And, you know, I, I think things need to be instituted on sort of a more uniform basis because, and I get it that you don't want to require people in Vermont to wear masks all the time if they have like no COVID, like that makes sense. But maybe state by state, we could be doing something better to communicate because I think 
the communication coming from the national level has confused people. And I understand why they've changed things. Like when we had, so when they, there's a couple of important differences now that didn't exist when in May, when they told us we didn't have to wear masks anymore if we're vaccinated. Like number one is the Delta variant was only 1% of the sequence cases at that time. And now it's 83 or something. And the alpha variant, we weren't seeing the same amount of like breakthrough cases and the same amount of um, maybe vaccinated people able to transmit disease if they're infected. So we weren't seeing that. So, th so that's different now. And so I understand following the science and putting mitigation measures in place that, you know, follow the science, but it does also get confusing to people and people that don't want to do it will look at it as like, they were lying or now it's about control or, and so it's unfortunate that this has kind of been sort of muddled a little bit in the, in the media and among online, you know, conspiracy theorists that just like think that this is politics and it's not science. And so I, I do think that we should be wearing masks in high transmission areas. Now that is up to your county health department to really clearly communicate if you're in one. And I don't know how well that's actually happening. So I think mm. that should be better. Um, you if you and if people are listening and they haven't heard that maybe you're not in one you know I don't know but um, it's I mean if you ask me personally I never really stopped wearing a mask um, when when they I would see you know and people would say to me well you know why don't you follow the science the CDC said you didn't have to wear one like to me I just felt like if I'm in a store and the workers are wearing a mask like I'm still going to wear one because that's I feel like it was almost like they're protecting me. So it's like respectful to also protect them, you know, even though I didn't have to, mm -hmm. um, I still did it. I never went into any stores without my mask on. I do, I do now do outside outings without my mask. Like if I'm doing like, I don't really, I don't really hang out with a lot of um, unvaccinated people, mostly because not because I'm prejudiced or anything, but mostly because all my friends are vaccinated and my family. So that's lucky. <laughs> I didn't really have to yeah. um, do anything like that. But um, yeah, I do like, and you know, even when my fr vaccinated friends come over to my house, like, I mean, you can kind of tell what someone's risk profile is. Like I wouldn't maybe invite someone maskless over to my house, even if they're vaccinated, if they're like out at bars every night partying or something like that person wouldn't feel like a safe person for me to be mask free around, even if we're both vaccinated, you know, yeah. like you can kind of put these like m mathematics into place of like what the person, like if the person works from home and they're maybe like, you know, just kind of like you with their risk factors, mm -hmm. um, then that's totally fine. You know, um, it's just, yeah. it's too bad that we're back to this point, you know, because we were doing really well with the alpha variant, but yeah, you know, that's reality. <laughs> Do you feel like, um, if you, gosh, if you look at other pandemics and you look at our pandemic, do you feel like, I know this is all speculation, but maybe you've got science behind it, but do you feel like <laughs> there's a, there's a way out or they'll, we'll cycle through this or, you know, if like, if 
if, you know, we've had the, I mean, many pandemics over centuries, right? And they kind of go yeah. whoosh through a few years and then they're gone, gone-ish. Yep. Um, do you think we'll be there anytime soon with this pandemic? So I, this is totally speculation, but what I think personally is that, so we had two other coronavirus, pretty serious coronaviruses was SARS and MERS, right? And um, the, in, so those two were, had very high case fatality rates and sort of like burned out quickly because they were very, you know, they would kill their hosts basically. Yeah, couldn't spread and anywhere, it, right? Yep. So that was, so those two, um, that did happen with other coronaviruses though, there are lots of like kind of common cold coronaviruses that circulate that kind of never go away because they just keep kind of going. And some of them are seasonal, um, you know, so what I think is going to happen, honestly, is I think at some point we're all going to, we're all going to get it. I do think that it's great that we're vaccinated. And I think that we will, for the most part, not get seriously ill. We aren't going to, if we're vaccinated, we won't die from COVID-19. And I do still think at this point, right now, it's good to still do the mitigation measures. I'm not trying to be fatalistic or anything, but I think as the virus continues to mutate, we probably will at some point all get some form of it. But um, hopefully it's down the road when we have more things figured out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's just Um, my, I'm not saying that's definitely going to happen, but that's kind of what my view of it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, just another reason to get vaccinated. Um, Absolutely. And, and any, you know, and there's people ask a lot about booster shots. I'm sure people that are listening to this podcast is like, well, then where's the booster shot? If we're all going to get it, we need more vaccine. And, and yes, I agree. Like there's very, there's a lot of um, motivation for me <laughs> to send, to bring my son to get another one because he's got to start school in like three weeks. Right. Right. And, um, but you know, we have to remember that there's people in the world that haven't even had one dose yet. A lot of people. Right. So we want to somehow get to a point where we have some vaccine um, equity, like where certain countries like really don't have any vaccine. So it would be nice to roll out the vaccine in some form in those areas before we're getting a third dose. Um, That's kind of what a lot of like the WHO is is very much for that strategy instead of giving third doses to places in, that are affluent. Yeah. Um, though it is, like I said, for me, even I want to bring my son right now and get another <laughs> one. Right. But, but, but uh, you know, it isn't fair. And it's, it's one of those things we have. And that's the sad thing is we are overloaded with vaccine in the United States and we're begging people to take it. Whereas it would be looked at as a gift in some parts of the country or some countries of the world that don't have any and would are dying for it. But, but in reality, unless this whole, we have vaccine equity and everybody's vaccinated, we are just going to keep getting variants and it's going to keep being a threat. So territorially vaccinating is not really going to help. It's kind of like 
putting out a fire in a house, just one bedroom while the rest of the house is burning. Right. Yeah, totally. Totally. That makes sense. Yeah. We got to get it across the globe. It's just the only real way to get it to be where everybody is stopping transmission because the, the variants that we've seen popping up are in areas with high community spread and low rates of vaccination, like India and like Brazil and South Africa and places that where we have seen this. There's very little vaccine, but a lot of cases. Yeah. That's right. Well, I mean, I just, I'm just like, I'm digesting that, but I'm also just thinking about how, yeah, you know, that's, that's why we try to get everybody vaccinated so we can have low community spread so we can have variants and you don't yes, come out every time every time a, a virus is transmitted there's copying that has to you know and every time you infect there's every infection has a risk of copying errors and mutations happen all the time every day um they're happening as we speak in our bodies but you know most of them won't lead to a variant they're yeah. you know but if that mutation starts to make the virus behave differently, like make it more transmissible or able to attach better or be a little bit less, um, less um, responsive to the vaccine, like these kind of changes are the kind that take over, you know, and, yeah. and get, and so that's what we want to avoid. We want to avoid these transmissions because every transmission has the, ability to cause a variant by these copying errors. What is, um, giving you light, uh, right now, or what are you enjoying or, or do you, do you want to share a funny troll troll? Oh yeah. This is actually one that just happened. So harassment and trolling has definitely increased, um, over the last, I would say couple weeks because I think for two reasons, like I think a lot, I'm getting a lot of very genuine messages from people that were vaccine hesitant or were not planning to get the vaccine, but now with Delta and hearing about it in the news are scared and they're going to get their vaccine. And like, I've had people saying like they, people honestly believe they were going to like pass away in the Walgreens while they were getting their shot. Like the people are terrified of the vaccine because of all this you know, stuff on social media, right? But people are going, and I think more and more people in the South, especially, we've seen an uptick in vaccinations in those states, which is great. It is great. Um, yeah, it, it's fantastic. But because of that, I think the kind of anti-vax um, kind of trolls are doubling down. And I've gotten a lot more hateful comments in the Mm. last couple of weeks than I have probably throughout this whole time. I think that they're getting nervous because, you know, and I'm not, you know, I I can't say why somebody does what they do, but I really don't understand why there's like whole networks of anti-vax trolls that harass all of us science communicators online. Um, Very strange way to spend your time. Yeah. Weird. um, But, um, yeah, so I've had, so I've gotten a lot more. And I think the reasons are there's a lot of data now showing that largely the cases that are very serious are unvaccinated. And we now have data showing that 
you know, natural immunity is not enough to prevent reinfection. We've just seen this data come out this week that, you know, if you just rely on your natural, you know, infection, the immunity you derive from that, it, you have like a 2.3 times greater odds of getting reinfected than if you get vaccinated. So I think all of these data points together are sort of threatening their position. So I'm getting a lot more nasty trolls and stuff. But this morning I got a funny one, which I shared with my colleagues, which we thought was hilarious. Um, I was <laughs> presenting that data that I just talked about where the, the data from Kentucky that showed that you have a two times, 2.3 times greater odds of reinfection if you're unvaccinated. And somebody wrote on my page, that paper that you're presenting has a whole section at the end talking about all its flaws. <laughs> <laughs> we were my colleagues and I were dying. I'm like, okay, that's not exactly the gotcha that's, that you think no, it is. It's not not really what that is. <laughs> Every paper has that, no matter what. Like limitations. Was, Isn't that funny? Like they're like, <laughs> that paper you're talking about has a whole section with its flaws and limitations. And I was oh like, oh my god. Does someone want to tell him? Like, <laughs> that's not that's not what that is. Yeah, and yeah. I've gotten a lot of like, you're a murderer, and you're you're yeah, a murderer. I'm oh a murderer. Yeah, I've gotten a lot of messages like that, and just people like to. Cause I have a website, and you can send me a message on my website, and people, and you know, I can't answer. Like I get a lot of, unfortunately, I get a lot of like clinical situations. Like I got this vaccine on this date, and I'm feeling this symptom. And I can't answer questions like that because I'm not a medical doctor and it's not really my place to practice medicine on the internet, even if I was, but, um, <laughs> so I get a lot of those questions, but I also get a lot of these kind of messages on my website, which is kind of scary a little bit. Um, I get a yeah. lot of harassing kind of weird negative messages, <laughs> but I get a lot of nice ones too. So yeah. <laughs> Uh, it, you're but that one was funny. I thought you'd like that. No, I, yeah. Well, but we I do, we do get a lot of, a lot of trolling and it's, it's gotten worse lately. Um, just like I said, because I think the tide is turning a little bit into like, there's very, I mean, the breakthrough in, infections are, they're focusing on that because that's been in the media and that's, they're like, Oh, show me the infection rate in vaccinated people. You know, that's been a big, a big yeah. talking point. So to, to your point earlier, we really do need that data that, you know, from the Kaiser Family Foundation kind of stratified by quarters because we really would, I would love to see what the actual rate is now. Yeah. Do you think that unvaccinated folks also are freaking out because they're number one, there are a lot of people saying the rhetoric of this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated now. And then also... Um, lots of places are going to be mandating the vaccine. So, yeah, you know, yes, I do. Yeah, like, the, actually, ah! that, that's, that's absolutely true. I think that that's another factor. Besides this new data coming out, I think that the vaccine mandates are making people very upset. They look at it like, what do they call it? The term they use is medical apartheid. So we're separating people and not letting people do things. But the thing that people need to keep in mind is that 
separating people based on public health interventions is not the same thing as saying like, okay, you're a woman, you can't come in here. Like that's completely different. Um, that's discriminatory. Whereas if you're choosing not to get a vaccine, that's fine. Nobody is going to come to your house and force you to get it, but you need to accept the consequences of not getting it. And that means that you won't be able to do certain things. And that's just, you know, the way it always has been just like people that don't want to vaccinate their kids can't go to public school. Like if you don't want to participate in public health, then you really shouldn't be in public, especially during a pandemic. That's absolutely true. Yep. Yeah. If you're in the public space, public arena. I mean, nobody is forcing them. There's not an apartheid going on. It's not like people are saying, oh, these people who've had COVID, they can't come. You know, no, it's not. It's not a discriminatory thing. It's people that are choosing not to participate in public health. And that's kind of an offensive, uh, very offensive thing, I guess, that they're saying, because not not the same thing. Not the same. I mean, I get constantly accused of this medical apartheid discrimination. I'm like, but I always say, like, you're an adult and you make choices. And as an adult, we accept the, you know, consequences of the choices that we make. We do it every day with everything. That's why you weigh out the pros and cons of choices that you make. And the cons of choosing not to be vaccinated are that you're not going to maybe be able to go on a plane or in a bar or to a concert. Like that's, that's the con associated with that choice that you're choosing. Right. Right. Just go and protect yourself and protect your fellow man. Like what is up with that? I just don't understand it. I don't. And it's, it's literally like, you know, when people are like, oh, I pray for you, you're going to be dead in three years. And I'm like, if I'm only here to be, if I live and the only people left here are people like you, (laughs) then I'm ready to go. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Take me now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'd rather live. I mean, you know, with, uh, for a while, if like, I mean, this is part of it was like, I don't want to die from COVID. I don't want to, no. you know, and if I know that I, and if we've seen the tragic ways that people can die from it, like, right. or left with debilitating outcomes, like, I don't want that to be my life. And I also don't want that to be anybody else's life. I don't want right. that to be wished on anybody. And so, no, absolutely. I mean, if even if there were, side effects I mean I haven't experienced any side effects from the vaccine no I haven't either willing willing to risk it because you know and anyway we know that they're very 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 few and far between and very safe and effective so um no it's really crazy because we know there's long-term effects from COVID we have data on it we have cases we've seen the people right like we have a large body of evidence with long-term effects from COVID-19. We have zero data with long-term effects of the vaccine. And we have people that got vaccinated starting like March 16th, 2020. So we've got a lot of months now to have ascertained that there's going to be something popping up and nothing has. Yeah. I should tell you, I'm, this is a, I may cut this out, but I just interviewed this guy, Neil Browning, who was the second person to get the Moderna vaccine. Mm. And he got it in March. Well, I totally want to listen to that. Oh, I'll send it to you. It's so cool. So he's a, um, 
such an analytical guy. And so it was really great to hear him talk about, talk about his experience, but also like why, you know, why that was the trials were like sped up, you know, to go from phase one to phase two, phase three, phase. Right. Know? And so that was just fascinating. I'll send it to you for sure. I want to um, listen to it. It was, but yeah. yeah, I mean, we have no data to support any of that garbage and it, it makes me crazy. And then the one thing I want to, I have to, my obligatory little blurb about bears, I have to put in here because, um, People online like to use the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, or VAERS, to kind of convince people that the vaccines are dangerous or deadly. And everything that's been put into VAERS is is unverified reports that were just put there by anybody. It could be a doctor or a person or an anti-vaxxer. A lot of the reports are from lawyers. So it's, it's not... What you see when you're searching is just a repository of reports. Nothing in there has been cleaned or verified or anything. When it's they just start, like going to like leave a comment of like, yeah, how was my food last night? It sucked. Yeah, right? like yeah, it's like reading Yelp reviews, right? Yeah. So you don't get everybody's review of the restaurant. You don't know how everybody who ate there feels. You just know how some people feel, and some people who are, you know determined to leave a comment for whatever reason, you know, and it could be something completely unrelated to the food. So we have these reports and people are using this database, searching the database and producing these like, oh, 6,000 people died. Well, you know, if you look at those deaths, a lot of them are from COVID and a lot of them are from causes that are completely unrelated to the vaccine, but they're put in there because the vaccine was like involved somehow, like a couple of days before the person had been vaccinated. So we call that correlation doesn't equal causation. And because it's, we ha- we lose 8,000 people per day in the U S anyway, that's like our death rate on the average. And if you think about it, if we only lost 6,000 people, like that's really not correlated with our, our normal death rate is much, much higher than that. But people right. don't kind of get that, you know, that's 6,000 in the whole time that we've been right. vaccinating. And when we started, we were vaccinating people that were in an age demographic that were more likely to die anyway. Right. True. They're going to have a natural drop off. Yes. So we, so people get scared with these reports, but honestly, they're, unless something is in excess of the background rate, we don't really kind of look at it as there's, there's a few different ways we can look at what generates a safety signal. But one is it's increased over the background rate, which is what happened with myocarditis in the, in the teenagers and young adult boys, because we saw that in certain age strata, there was an increase over the background rate of myocarditis that in the literature over what we would expect. So that's why those cases were pulled down from VAERS and reviewed. So everything that gets entered in there gets reviewed very carefully. Um, We could also look at, you know, things that we aren't expecting at all, like with no background rate, like those blood clots from Johnson and Johnson were so rare, we didn't even have a background rate. So that generated a signal. So these things are being looked at. There's no way that like thousands of deaths would just go unnoticed because if we stopped a whole vaccine program for six blood clots, 
there's absolutely no way that we'd just be like, oh, it's fine. That people are, you know, like, right. It's just madness that people think that because it's very, this pharmacovigilance system in the US is so sensitive that we can, we can detect these one in a million adverse events. Wow. Wow. So I had to just throw that in there that anytime you see people trying to use theirs as like their proof that it's just, and there's, there's no denominator in VAERS. So you don't know how many, they always just say how many events and it doesn't say like out of how many doses. Yeah. And there's not any like time element to calculate a rate. So it's just, just be very wary of any data from VAERS because it's not, it's not a it's, good comparison. It's not clean, not clean data or, or yeah. um, and it, I know, I know we have to wrap up here yeah. in a minute, but do you, are you doing anything fun? Are you, where are you getting your joy from? Well, I have been seeing some vaccinated friends and that's been really nice. And it's been one thing that's been lovely is my son is vaccinated now. So we can go out and see my mom who lives about 40 minutes away. So it's been really nice. We've been going to her house like every week, at least for a night or two. And um, so that's been really nice. When school starts, we'll probably have to do less of that because I probably won't want him around my mom so much when he's around other kids all day. Um, but we're taking advantage of our, you know, sort of Delta free world <laughs> while we can. That's good. Are you still skating? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. It's except for when it's like 90 degrees, I don't go, but yeah, I'm probably going to go today. Oh, good. Cool. Gosh, thank you so much for being on the show. I just oh, you're welcome. I always will you. come on your show. You're the best. You're the best. It's so fun. It's so fun to talk to you in person or well, it feels like person, but it's, we are in person. <laughs> but it's fun to talk to you in real life. And um, yeah, I'd love to have you back. And um, for those of you out there, I'll just say stay safe and stay sane. And I'll see you on the next one. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. That was great. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave an honest review on whatever platform you are listening. Also, feel free to share this with your nursing colleagues. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at founddownpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send in any stories. Just make sure they're HIPAA compliant. Also, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at founddownpodcast. We'll see you on the next one.